Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is brought to you by Safe Ireland and Airbnb, working in partnership to support domestic violence survivors across Ireland. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. Uh, Now it's all very grim out there. It's got colder all of a sudden because it was lovely and mild for a while there. I was getting out and thinking, God, this is unusually mild. And then you got all the ICU beds, the scarcity. The pandemic is still trundling on, you know, people waiting for booster shots and wondering about that. And it just seems really hard to believe and to accept that the uncertainty and the grimness and everything is still continuing after nearly two years so yeah it's just hard I think it's a really weird time and then seeing all the events being cancelled as well and knowing that like we're going to have I suppose another quite bleak Christmas in in a way and I suppose there's the positive things about like most people are vaccinated but you know it's just more of a mess than perhaps we would have envisaged uh, this time last year and I think that is inevitably going to bring us down a bit. I've certainly been feeling it myself. Uh, But I was writing in the Irish Times this week about the importance of distracting ourselves. So I'm trying to do that as well. And my neighbours across the road have all the Christmas decorations up, which is a lovely distraction when I walk out the door. And um, in my article this week, I was suggesting, you know, various distractions, eat more sweets. I think that's always a good thing. There's lots of jellies in our house. And uh, finding a great book to escape into. I was recommending Claire Keegan's book, these small things was just just wonderful and I can really recommend it. And then the other thing that is distracting is immersing yourselves in the lives of others. And I met a young man and a young woman out the other night who were on their first date. She'd flown over from London and he was from Mullingar. They had met on Snapchat a few months earlier and they'd been talking away and exchanging messages. But this was the first time they'd met each other and I happened to get talking to them. And the first date seemed to go very well uh, because they spent the weekend together. And afterwards, she sent me a lovely video on Instagram with highlights from their week together. It was so romantic. So I was just vicariously living through the love story of Alex and Dale and good luck to them. And I can't wait for the wedding because it's inevitable. I know it's going to happen. I believe in love. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about a different kind of love, I suppose. Friendship, new friends, old friends, friends we've lost and the ones we keep. For this episode, I spoke to two friends of mine and two Irish Times columnists. One is Rosita Boland, who has written a book called Comrades about the friendships of her life. And I also spoke to my friend Brianna Parkins, also an Irish Times columnist, about making friends when you arrive in a new country and how tricky that can be. Trying to infiltrate a friendship group is quite difficult. And I don't put this down to Irish people being particularly clicky. Just a lot of people tend to have the same friends they've had since primary school or from their hometown. So they have a really well-established group of friends by the time they're adults. 
and they're not really looking for other friends. <laughs> so you kind of have to like squeeze yourself into a friendship group and make people be your friends. So more from Brianna and Rosita later on about friendship. And seeing as there is a lot of grim news out there, I wanted to find some good news because there is some around. And one good news story yesterday I saw is that Ace Donna has elected five new members. And Ace Donna is the Artists Association um, that recognises artists in Ireland who have made outstanding contributions to the creative arts. And they've uh, they've added five new members and they're all women, which is incredible because I don't think Ace Donna has ever done that. It's a very male heavy organisation. And the people who have just joined Ace Donna are the author Anne Enright, the visual artists Amanda Coogan, Rachel Joint and Diana Copperwhite and the composer Linda Buckley. And we're delighted for all of them. It's it's great news and congratulations to them. And fantastic that Ace Donna ha- now has five new women. More good news for Britney Spears. The end of her conservatorship has happened and she's been speaking about the Free Britney movement and the sort of drudgery she's been under over the last more than a decade. A judge ruled this week that the singer be given back control of her personal and financial independence for the first time since 2008. She was quite emotional in the video she put out in response and obviously delighted. She was saying it was the small things like buying candles and things like that that she was looking forward to doing. Um, she's also said her parents, she believes, should be in jail for putting her under conservatorship for 13 years. She's had her personal affairs, her career appointments and finances legally controlled by the ruling, uh, which was petitioned by her father, Jamie, in 2008. He pointed to her public mental health struggles as justification for the move. And what was intended as a temporary arrangement was made permanent by the end of that year. But anyway, Brittany is free now to buy candles or do whatever she wants. And it's great to be able to say that. And it's also great that she seems to want to help others who are still stuck in unfair conservatorship. So hopefully she'll be doing some advocating on behalf of people who don't have an amazing movement like Free Britney behind them. So fair play to Britney Spears. Finally, in slightly less good news, I want to mention the latest development around the mother and baby homes report. Based on that report, the government this week announced details of the redress scheme And unfortunately, the redress scheme falls short of what survivors were hoping for. We heard a lot of the survivors on radio this week and Sinn Féin's spokesperson on children, Kathleen Funchen, TD, said she'd been inundated with calls from survivors who are outraged at the government's proposals because many of uh, the people are excluded because there's this threshold of six months residency in a mother and baby home is required for the redress scheme, whereas In reality, many newborns were adopted very quickly out of these homes and some to parents who paid a lot of money for the babies. And Kathleen Funchen said the exclusion of infants who spent less than six months in a mother and baby or county home from accessing an enhanced medical card or redress demonstrates that the survivors have not been listened to. She said she supports them completely in their view that the scheme is an insult to them. And should say that a spokesman for the minister, Roderick O'Gorman, said, however, he had consulted extensively with survivors and there were many forms of redress, including access to full birth information. So there are lots of people upset about the fact that despite the widespread rejection of the report of the Commission of Investigation into Mother and Baby Homes last January this year, something we've covered a lot on the podcast. Despite all that rejection and controversy around the report, the government has based its redress scheme on the report's findings. And just to remember, as we've mentioned a lot on this podcast, and we've had survivors and campaigners such as Mary Harney and Noel Brown and Maeve O'Rourke, and they're all united in saying that survivors and families have 
consistently demanded inclusive redress, one that recognised the human rights of abuse of forced family separation. So I'm really hoping that that will all be sorted and that the survivors and campaigners will get what they uh, deserve and what they need and what they've been shouting for, because just, you know, that's what should happen. They should just be listened to and they should be supported in what they're saying. Now to today's episode, friendship is a wonderful thing, as many of us know, but it doesn't get as much airtime as romantic love and even family relationships. Living alone with her wide circle of friends unavailable to her during lockdown after lockdown, Rosita Boland wrote a book of essays about the friendships of her life, a book written at a time, ironically, when she was deprived of those wonderful friendships. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Friendships of all kinds, friendships from a distance, unexpected friendships, the ones you treasure and the ones that fall apart. But we also wanted to talk about the difficulty of making new friends when you move to a new country. So we'll hear from Rosita later on about comrades. But in the meantime, I could think of nobody better to discuss making new friends in a new country than Brianna Parkins, who writes a wonderfully funny column in the Irish Times every Friday and who also happens to be a great friend of mine. Here's my chat with Brianna. Brianna, thank you very much for coming on the Women's Podcast. And I wanted you to come on because we're talking about friendship today. I've got Rosita Boland coming on later talking about her amazing book of essays called Comrades. And I wanted to talk to you because you came to Ireland a few years ago from Australia and had to make a whole new bunch of friends, including me, because we're friends. And I wanted to talk to you about that. What was it like? What is it like trying to come to Ireland and make new friends? I actually was talking about this to other Australians last night. And, you know, we have this theory, there's there's two types of cultures, there's, there's peach culture and there's coconut culture. So coconut cultures, I would say, would be more like Australians, maybe some Americans like New Yorkers who have like a tough exterior but a really soft interior. So they might come off as a bit unfriendly at first, but then they're actually quite welcoming. Um, I'd say like a lot of Eastern European cultures, a lot of my Eastern European friends are the same. Um, so they can come off quite brash, quite uh, direct um, and a bit hard to sort of crack them at first, but then it's really easy to make friends. Whereas I would say Ireland is more like a peach culture where everyone's really, really friendly really nice they want to have the chats they want to get to know you but trying to infiltrate a friendship group is quite difficult and I don't put this down to Irish people being particularly clicky um just a lot of people tend to have the same friends that they've had since primary school or from their hometown so they have a really well-established group of friends by the time they're adults and they're not really looking for other <laughs> friends so you kind of have to like squeeze yourself into a friendship group and make people be your friends but I will say people a lot of my close friends like Roshi um (laughs) who are really good to me and really welcoming and like you threw a a party for me when I first came to Ireland so people would be my friend (laughs) be friends with my friend um but you had lived overseas and I've noticed a lot of my close Irish friends have lived uh like a lot of Irish people have lived overseas at various points in their life and they kind of know what it's like to be new so I would say, um, yeah, it is. it can be quite difficult to, to make friends as an adult and particularly in Ireland and particularly in Dublin, I think, as well. Yeah, well, Brianna, I must, we should probably tell the story of, of how we became friends because I basically made you be my friend in my, the way I tell it. <laughs> I forced you into friendship, which I think you were quite willing uh, because I saw you on the television the very first time I ever laid eyes on you. You were being the, Ro- the Sydney Rose on the Rose of Tralee in what year, Brianna? 
2016, so it's showing my age now. Yeah, showing your age. Well, we're five years friends. That's cool. And um, that's when I saw you and you were mentioning about on, on stage with Dahi, you talked about how Ireland uh, needed to have a, a referendum um, on the repeal the 8th sort of scenario and I remember jumping out of my B&B there was no Wi-Fi I had to get in the rain to a pub where I could find who you were on Twitter and I promised that night that I was going to buy you a pint if I ever met you and then I think it was not long afterwards maybe a year later or something you came you actually came back to Ireland yeah it was for the referendum so it would have been two years later yeah and um, we finally had that pint and we have been uh, thick as thieves ever, ever since and I remember having people over for you for you because I wanted you to feel like it wasn't even maybe necessarily the people who, who were at that party were going to be your close friends but that you would kind of have a range of people that knew you and that you could call on and that you could ask things of you could have a bit of a network and I think that's sometimes hard when you arrive somewhere because we all have people that we know we can go to for certain things as well as our close friends but um, I hope that was helpful and, and maybe that sort of started a little bit of friendships developing maybe Yeah it definitely did like and that's the most important thing um, when you move to a new country is that you don't and you have to make friends as an adult first of all making friends as, as an adult is really weird and you do just have to like trick people into being your friend like you just have to be <laughs> ag- aggressively friendly like you have to make people be your friend You're like okay I'll see you tomorrow at this restaurant I'm like what I'm like okay see you there bye <laughs> Like you just have to make them. And like you said, having that network of people, like social capital is, is so important um, to, to have people to call on, especially in Ireland where like things kind of get done by like calling the right person, finding out what the actual crack is. Like I feel like in Ireland there is like two systems. It's like the official way of doing things. <laughs> and then there's like, oh, yeah, you just ring this person and I'll tell you actually how you do it. <laughs> so having a big network to call on is so important in this country. Um, so it definitely set me up in the right way. And also when you move, it's the most basic stuff. Like where do I get this from? Because the equivalent shop doesn't exist. <laughs> so I'm used to like things like Target, Kmart, like these big retailers. And I was like, oh, Pennies has clothes, but they don't sell microwaves. Um, so it's that kind of stuff that you really you feel stupid all the time. So having someone to go, uh, how do I get this? Or how do I get a, a medical card? Or who do I talk to about this? Uh, is, is really, really important. Uh, tell me more about this sort of uh, peach coconut analogy, because I really like that idea that, you know, we're all like puppies. We're clambering over you. Oh, it's lovely to meet you, but maybe we're not brilliant at the follow through um, and I think as you say it's not any sort of malicious thing it's it's a benign kind of it's almost like a friend flakiness I think have you found that with Irish people that were maybe not the best at kind of um, like I say following through with things and commitments and making things happen I wouldn't say flaky um, I think it's more just like I think Irish people are so kind and they always want to be in that social situation. They always want to say the right thing and they never want to say no to you. So I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, I find this in interviews as a journalist, like, yeah, yeah, I'll talk to you. And then you ring them and they don't answer the phone or they just don't show up to an interview. You're like, okay, they did actually didn't want to do that. <laughs> um, and I had friends sort of in my workplace producers when I started going, look, they'll say yes to you, but then they won't answer. So don't bother scheduling an interview. Like, Why would they say yes? And then not, not go it's like they don't they don't want to disappoint you they don't want to let you down in that moment um but I stole the peach coconut thing I think it's actually like I've just robbed that from someone I think it is an academic paper sorry to the authors of that who I've just (laughs) stolen this from I didn't make that up um but I do think sometimes Irish people are very very keen to be seen to doing the right thing and like they're, they're friendly to like be like oh that's the proper thing to do but they're actually like I don't I don't want to hang out with you 
whereas an Australian person, if we don't like someone, like I I would watch some Irish friends and I know they don't like that person and then they spit that person out in public and like, oh, hey, oh, my God. And they walk away. It's like, I hate that bitch. (laughs) Like, why did you say hello to her? Because Australians would just be like, I hate you. And like, I hate you too. And that's fair enough. You just don't talk to that person. You don't pretend to like that person. Um, It's well established that you don't like each other. And there's a bit of respect in that. You're like, I know how, where I stand with that person. Whereas in Ireland, I always feel a bit gaslit. Because I don't know if people actually like me or they're being polite. And that's my biggest fear is that actually people in Ireland don't like me, but they're just really polite and have a great poker face. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I th- but there's probably some people that don't like you because there's, there's always people that don't <laughs> like us, Brianna. But I think most people, people are genuine don't like me. in their like of you. Now, talk to me about being away from your friends in Australia. And, and also with the pandemic, we've all kind of had that experience where we've, you know, we've lost touch with a lot of people over the last couple of years. I mean, you physically, geographically been far away, but also for the rest of us as well, just, you know, our circle became tiny, especially during the lockdowns. What have you noticed about that, about trying to maintain friendships? Um, I'm a really shit friend uh, in terms of keeping contact with Australian friends because the time difference is they're nine hours ahead. So a lot of the time they will want to talk to me as I'm getting ready to work, getting ready for work. And I worked in breakfast television as well. So I had weird hours on top of that. Um, so the, and then when it's my nighttime, they want to talk because they're getting out of bed. It's like 11, 12 PM and I'm going to bed. Uh, so it was really difficult to stay in contact. Um, so I don't really Skype either. I hate the idea of having to sit in front of a screen. Um, so I use the normal telephone because I can walk around my house. I can touch my mum while I'm putting on a load of laundry. I'm also really bad at staying in contact with my mum. <laughs> like we might talk, but she's the same. Lorraine's like, I'm busy. I have a life. Um, she will probably talk like maybe every two weeks, but it'll be for like an hour or two hours when it does. We have a big proper catch up. Um, but my friends are really understanding. I'm also like neurodivergent. I recently got diagnosed with ADHD and I understand that. Uh, I tend to forget people like this is really horrible, but I don't stop caring about them or want to talk to them. I just forget that they exist because they're not there in front of me. So I have friends who I won't talk to, like my closest friends from home who've known me forever. I might not talk to them for six months and then I'll, they'll get a call from me. And they're like, oh, hey, yeah, we'll probably when you remember us. Um, then we have a big proper catch up. So I'm really lucky that I have a really forgiving group of friends that when I go home, it's like nothing ever happened. I haven't been away. We will hang out as normal. Um, we'll just pick up where we left off. But I'm really crap at it, keeping in contact. I think that's a really nice thing about friendship, though, isn't it? Real friendship, when people really get you and know who you are and therefore the stuff that other people might find annoying, they understand. But tell me a little bit more about your diagnosis, because I imagine having that diagnosis, especially as an, an adult, you know, it must be really helpful to kind of understand yourself a lot better and to know how to deal with things better than you were. Yeah, I mean, I, I was on TikTok uh last night and this woman was like all the things I thought were personality traits are actually ADHD symptoms and that's what I'm finding out now is all oh, that thing I've always done oh that's actually just a function of my brain so in interpersonal uh relationships like I can be quite blunt like when someone annoys me I'm like that really annoyed me and um, can you not do that again uh or I will Again, like the forgetting people exist, but I really want to, I really, I'm thinking about them in my brain. I care about them. And I'm like, oh, I should really make time to talk to them, but they haven't texted me. So maybe they're busy. And then I kind of psych myself out and make, just write it off rather than just texting them. Um, that can be an ADHD trait, um, that, that bad communication. And again, just forgetting about people, but not in the sense that you've forgotten that they 
like you don't care about them or you don't want to see them. You just literally forget to text them because you're so worried about what's happening in the here and now. So um, it does, it has helped me uh, a lot. So I noticed that I have to schedule time. This sounds really lame. Uh, that I have to schedule in time every day for half an hour that I call check-up time. So for that half an hour, I like text friends in my phone, I schedule plans, I make sure that I make time to remember that other people exist in the world. That's brilliant. Brianna, I'm I'm not saying I have a diagnosis, but I'm relating to a lot of what you're saying. And I'm kind of going, that checkout half an hour is a really good idea for everybody, really. Just a little yeah. bit of time to just check out of what you, or, you, what all the stuff that's overwhelming you and just kind of get into what's important to you, I suppose, for, for half an hour. And it's not that long, but it can make a huge difference to your day and to your week. Exactly. Even if you do it once, if it's a half an hour once a week, call your mum, text your friends, uh, let people know that you, I, I think it's odd, you know, as an adult, you're like, oh, no one's texted me on this, I haven't heard from this person, they must not want to hang out with me. And that person's also sitting there going, oh, I haven't heard from that person, they don't want to hang out with me. It's this weird text stalemate. So I think if you break the ice first, um, nine times out of 10, you will get a response. And Brianna, you mentioned something about being blunt there and, and saying it when things annoy you. And I have to, ma- I'm going to make a public apology on the women's podcast. We were supposed to go for lunch <laughs> recently and I flakily sort of quite soon before it happened, uh, told you I couldn't go and sort of left you. And I loved it. The next day, I think it was, you sent me this text message saying you were annoyed with me and how it felt and all that stuff. And it was so un-Irish, I have to say. I was You're totally like, shocked, <gasps> but I loved it because we were then able to have this really good open communication about it. And, you know, it was it was fine. The world didn't end and we were able to just discuss it like adults. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, like my poor Irish friends, <laughs> you included, are not used to, like, I, I don't know how to be annoyed at someone. And, <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, I'm annoyed at that person. So I just won't talk to them for a bit or I'm annoyed at that person. And I, like, I just, there will be weird aggression there or come out in weird ways. Um, I can't do that. Like if I'm annoyed, I have to like tell you a six point dot point plan of why I'm annoyed but it's okay we will move on from this but just so you know it's annoyed me and please don't do it again it was very liberating and refreshing I have to say I I did quite enjoy that exchange even though it was a bit hard but but you did say it very fairly you said what was annoyed you and obviously you were justified and then at the end you said you know everything's going to be fine we will you know it'll be all right like you weren't cancelling our friendship because of it no and I you know I have really uh, a close um close friend Heather who you've met yeah and Heather just she's like oh I never I she honestly never gets annoyed at anything she's like I don't get annoyed or angry it just goes away and I was like where does it go and I'm like literally shaking you by the shoulders like what happens where does it get misplaced um and she honestly just thinks she it's for her her anger just disappears into the ether yeah. and I'm not that person I never <laughs> will be that person I don't know how it works but, you know, you see other dynamics play out within friendship groups. You're like, oh, that person's annoyed at that person. So they didn't invite them to drinks and then they'll make up eventually. I'm like, no, just, just sort it out. Just 10 minutes. Just yeah. sort it out. Like that stresses me out having like unresolved things. No, it's great. And it's what makes you you. And speaking of you, Brianna, I just want to say before you go, you have so enlightened and uh, amused and added to the gaiety of the nation with your Friday columns. They've been absolutely stunningly great, always making me laugh, making me think. Um, I mean, you, you you had one about sort of the way people carry on in Ireland on the beach in terms of, you know, trying to get changed into their swimming togs at the very beginning. And you've just played a blinder. And you're, I think it's your eye coming from Australia, looking at us and telling us the stuff about us that is so entertaining that we don't necessarily see ourselves. Have you been enjoying writing the column? I love it. Like the Irish Times, uh, 
you know, Madeline is great, my editor. She's just like, you can just write whatever pops into your head. I have a really <laughs> free hand. And, like, I could not get away with that in Australia. If an Irish person came to Australia <laughs> and, like, wrote about the Australians every week, like, borderline insulted them, you would have, they would be chased out with pitchforks. In Ireland, people are like, ah, yeah, no, that's what we do do. Yeah, fair play to you. <laughs> do you know, you, like, would not get that anywhere else. And uh, people are really are kind and I think the Irish are very self-aware um, and very good humoured and and it's always they always laugh along with me um, and they don't seem to to get too offended and take it seriously so really it's the Irish public who I have to thank for 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 reading me every week and and uh, for supporting my work even though I'm kind of sometimes maybe on the nose insulting them you're very on the nose but it's the way you do it Brianna you do it in a way that charms us instead of annoys us and insults us so long may it continue and thank you very much for coming on the women's podcast to talk about friendship and uh, we'll be friends for life won't we Brie? We'll be friends forever. Yay. (laughs) All right goodbye. Bye. Oh, I love talking to Brianna there about friendship. Thanks very much to her. And it's nice as well to get to apologise publicly for being a bad friend that time and standing her up for lunch. Thank goodness, as well as being very blunt, Brianna is also very forgiving. The new Safe Ireland Survivor Fund in partnership with Airbnb enables Safe Ireland to contribute to sustainable supports for women and frontline services and to provide focused actions for children. You can play a critical role in helping to protect more women and children from abuse. Donate directly to your local domestic violence service or to the national work of Safe Ireland. Go to www.safeireland.ie for more information. Now, the next part of the podcast is my chat with another very good friend of mine, Rosita Boland. And she talked to me about our friendship, which began at work, and about her wonderful book of essays, which is called Comrades. Hope you enjoy. So from Brianna Parkins, my friend, onto my other friend, Rosita Boland. It's lovely to have you on the podcast, Rosita. Great to be on the podcast, Rosita. Excellent. Well, listen, let's talk about our friendship, first of all, and get that out of the way, because we kind of became friends through work. And I think when you friendships in work can be really intense and deep and important because, as we all know, things happen in work. We have crises, we have things that go wrong, we have things to celebrate. And having a really good friend who you work with is so important and so enriching and can be a really great thing in times of uh, hardship and crisis, like I said, but also wonderful when things happen that are great and you can, you know, maybe nip around the corner. We shouldn't say too much, but if you want to nip around the corner to say mulligans or something in the back of the day, uh, you can. So I think that's a, that's a great thing about our friendship, that it's something that um, sort of happened in work, but moved beyond that and, and, and deeper than that as the years went past. Yeah, so I suppose it was actually quite a long time before we became even work friends because you were in Belfast for some years. So, you know, you weren't in the office and then in the newsroom. So when you moved up to features, yeah, I suppose there's just something about working in the same department, which would be probably true for people in any office anywhere. The more you see of people maybe in close proximity and the more you work with them, um, you know, you you see the colour of their jibe or flags or whatever the cliche (laughs) is. Um, And I can't even remember how we first kind of started to 
hang out. But definitely first we were, you know, we would always be talking about work and we'd be interested in the same human interest stories. And there is, back in the day when we were in the office, there was local hostelries where we would repair to <laughs> and the odd time and sometimes to the ladies' bathrooms where there was crises for yes. either or both of us, as there always is. I think most work friends, especially female work friends, have cried in um, office bathrooms at one point or another. I think it's a rite of passage almost and important and quite consolidating of a friendship, I think, when you see someone in, in that much of a vulnerable state. Um, because there's always things in work that happen because, you know, just there is. There can be times when you're not feeling your best. There can be vulnerable times or times when things go wrong or you get disappointed. And to have a friend in your workplace that you can escape to, to a cupboard or to a toilet or wherever it is, is a wonderful thing and a saving thing at the time. It is because I suppose it's a, a safe private space in what is a public space because your work space, your work office and space is, you know, you're a professional doing a professional job and, you you know, we mostly, you know, behave well in all sorts of ways. We're not feral running around on top of desks and, you know, you know, <laughs> swigging from bottles. But, you know, there are times um, there are all sorts of things happening in our lives all the time. It's not, yeah. just, not just to do with work, but sometimes you can maybe get bad news when you're in the middle of work or, you can just have some kind of existential crisis and to be able to just repair to a, a, a private space um, and just send a text to friends such as yourself and um, just take a few minutes out and then you go back and nobody knows anything, but you feel so much better. So I think that we've, we've both benefited, you and I, from that um, private space within a public space. Absolutely. And also just, to, I mean, that's that's the crying in the bathroom bit, but there's also just the hilarity as well. A lot of funny things happening in work or just, like I said, when you get good news. I mean, you, you had such a tremendous time a couple of years ago when you won the Journalist of the Year, you know, for your incredible and I love it story. And, you know, it's so wonderful to, to be around a person when you're having those successes and to be able to go out and have the champagne and really enjoy those times for people that you work with, because you've seen them in close proximity, putting all that work into something and you know what went into it. And then to see them get the rewards, it's, it's a really special thing. I, I love that time. But let me talk about your amazing book, Comrades, because it's really interesting. You live alone. And so you went through the lockdowns um, living alone, which is a different experience to what I had because I had a very busy house with two children. I was trying to homeschool, but I was crap at that. So I didn't really bother. And, you know, my partner working the same. So a very busy, lots of stuff going on all the time. You had a very different experience as many, many people did. And lots of my friends did where they live on their own. So it was quite a lonely time for you. And you've written about that very eloquently. But wonderfully through the lockdowns you wrote this brilliant book about friendship and it's like as if while you couldn't have your friends around you you were able to summon them up in the book I think that must have been a great solace of some kind it was and I had started uh, I had just started comrades in January last year when I say last year this sounds like it seems like it's 25 years ago now so I hardly even know what year it is but I had started it in January 2020 and then by March we were in lockdown and I mean, we just couldn't see anyone. We couldn't go anywhere. It was, yeah, I, I found it, uh, I found it very challenging living and working alone because I'm a very sociable person and I need to have people around me. And 
you know, it's one thing being home alone by choice and a very different thing when you actually don't want to be in your home all the time by yourself. And I never, ever worked from home ever before. I would file the occasional story now and then, um, but I never had a home office or and still don't. You know, I work at my kitchen table and I never liked the idea of my work life coming into my private home space. And I really don't like that kind of confusion of blurring. I, I, my, my home space is my private home space for, you know, things that are not to do with work. So I found all that difficult as well. And it was lonely, but there was a, there was a solace in being able to write about all of the many and varied friendships that I'd had and sort of reliving them as I was, you know, writing about them. And that was sort of living vicariously, I guess. And it was, yeah, it, it, it was kind of a mad coincidence that this was the topic that I was writing about at a time when I couldn't see any of these people in real life. But I knew that there would be times in the future when we'd get together again. So that all kept me going. Yeah. Well, it starts off the book with um, imaginary friends, which is something I think everyone can relate to. We've all kind of had them. I mean, I, I, it made me think of my own sort of little, I can't remember them as vividly as yours, but um, that was really interesting because you had quite a solitary childhood. So in a way, in the absence of, of people your own age around or people that you could be friends with because you didn't have um, many friends, you summoned them up. What was it like revisiting that, that kind of imaginary social life in a way that you used to have? And that you, you it's, it shows this testament to your imagination because they were, it was real. I mean, there was, tell us about the dog. For example, well, we all have a heart's desire when we're children, and mine was to have a dog. And unfortunately, my father just was not fond of animals of any kind. So the dog was out, but I um, was resourceful, I guess, and I imagined a dog. And I imagined it so vividly, it was really there. And actually, the thing is, I knew nothing about dogs, I had no idea what they ate or, you know, what they did, or I just knew they were furry lovely things that would follow you around and adore you and that's what I I just wanted I just wanted a a friend at that because you know I suppose like a lot of children for various reasons not all of us can make friends as easily as others and you look to other sources of companionship I suppose and for me learning to read was just a amazing portal to a whole world where you know I read these books so often that the characters in them were like my friends and then some of them sort of crept out of the pages and became my real imaginary friends that I would spend time with and that was all very you know they they were it was really you know I suppose it sounds very strange now but when you're a child you have a suspension of disbelief and that's why children get so scared when they're small because you know you really do believe that there's a monster under the bed and your boundaries between what is fact and what is fiction is very blurred and so for a time I I sort of kind of they're really real to me these imaginary friends and uh, yeah I mean I went on to make many other friends but they were certainly my you know, treasured companions when I was a child, as were all the books that I read and the characters I found in them. And I could totally relate to that. And I think because when we were growing up, there was um, much less going on in terms of media and other outlets. Books 
were in a way your world, you know, I mean, I would go to people's houses and often be just sitting in the corner, not even playing with the real life people that were there that were supposed to be my friends and having more to, to find in the actual covers of a book. So I loved that part of the, the book as well. The other thing I really uh, loved because I do think, again, everyone can relate to this, is we've all had a friend, at least one, I think, that we've fancied, that we've wanted to be more than a friend. And that has never, that has never happened or not materialised. And it's such a crushing thing. And you write about the desired friend, is what you call yours. And I just think it's brilliantly told that yearning for something more, even though the friendship itself is great and you would love to just be happy with that. But when you want something more and then when that doesn't develop, tell us about that story um, it was when you were in college. So when I was in college, I had a friend called uh, Kit and he had been a blind date for my graduation dance at boarding school. And because I'd been at boarding school, I didn't know I didn't know any boys and I had no life really outside school. This all sounds like 100 years ago. But anyway, that's what was my experience. So my good friends from Galway set me up with uh, Kit, who arrived to the graduation dance in his grandfather's tails and a white shirt and a white cravat. And he was, uh, he sort of, you know, was such an extraordinary visual contrast against the other Teenage, well, he was 21 by then, I think, and the other teenage boys who, God bless them, were slightly callow in their rented tuxes and their acrylic shirts and, you know, not having a clue how to tie their bow ties. And he was there in these antique clothes and full of confidence. And he was an art student of architecture and he, it emerged over, I was totally blown away by his sophistication and um, his mischief and the fact that he spoke French and had this very kind of grown-up life. Uh, it was it was just, and also he was so much fun and he was um, so interesting and I was very beguiled right from the start. So he <laughs> asked me to get in touch when I came up to college, so I did. And we at once became really good friends. We just all, we were always talking and I, he was really interested and I was studying English and he was really interested in all the books I was reading. And I was at least as enthralled by where he lived as the person he was, because he lived in a very uh, amazing, but very rundown at the time, Georgian house on Henrietta Street. And I thought it was so romantic. It was freezing cold, but there were original shutters and floorboards and he lived there alone. And he just made the whole place, it was so just romantic in every kind of sense of the word. And he was entirely sure of who he was. He spoke French. He had a Vespa. He, you know, would disappear now and then and he would, you know, head off traveling. He had girlfriends from France, from Colombia. He just was so worldly. And I mean, how could I not accept be completely enthralled by him because I knew nothing about life at that point. And I just sort of... Uh, cherished his friendship and it found it so exciting and thrilling and it was like my life had been in black and white and he was suddenly this vivid colour, you know, movie. I didn't know how it was going to end or 
what was going to happen, but I, I kept wanting to sort of climb through the screen and become part of the movie as well. So, yes, he was my desired friend, but nothing ever happened between us. But we, he taught me, even though I wanted to, uh, but he, and so kind of at the end of that time, I thought, oh, it had been a sort of a catastrophic waste of time, spending so much time with somebody to, and I hadn't got what I had wanted, but I was only much later I realised that I got so many other things. I, you know, he taught me how to be curious and how to, you know, to be instilled in me a desire to travel and just all of so many gifts that he gave me through our friendship that if we'd had a, a you know, if we'd had a fling, it, it would have gone south and then we would never have seen each other again. But we were very, very close for three years. So it he was the desired friend, but he was also, it didn't, it didn't work out, but he was also the most, it was the most seminal friendship of my young adulthood and I really treasure it. And where is he now? The last I heard of Kit, he's living in the mountains in France in a house that he designed himself um, with a partner, a woman that I've I've never met and probably never will. And he's uh, in the mountains and now I believe he is a potter. He's working. He's not working as an architect anymore. He's making things with his hands in a different way. I want to talk about some of your other friends, but but just on, on Kit and that whole thing. What about, how do you feel about reigniting friendships that are kind of from your long ago past? Because we all have those people, people we used to see a lot, then we lose touch. Is there, I mean, in, in the case of Kit, do you feel like that was sort of a perfect three years of friendship in a way and just leave it as it is? Or is there any curiosity in you how that friendship might develop, Um, you know, even though he's in a different country, but that, is there any longing for you to kind of get back in touch with him and, you know, reignite it at all? Well, we did see each other over the years after that because he came back to live in Dublin for a while. So, and we always had this same easy sort of pick up where things left off. And I haven't seen him now for maybe, maybe 15 years or so. So it's, I, w- I mean, I'd be delighted to see him if you know, our paths crossed again, but sometimes things are of a time, I guess. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think the the golden moments of that friendship were those three years. And like you say, you learned so much. So even though it was a, a crushing disappointment at, at, on one level that you didn't, it didn't go the way you wanted it to, like there wasn't the romantic side of it. It's great that you were able to see, looking back, how much he actually influenced you and shaped you in ways that are really important to you now. So that that was uh, was great. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about was something you, you I think is really important. The message that comes through from your book of essays is about the sort of um, importance we place on family. And I don't think it's just in Ireland, but particularly in Ireland, maybe that that's the thing that everything swirls around and that's the important stuff. But in fact, you can be born into a family and it can be full of people that, you know, aren't particularly your people or people you like. Whereas with friendships, you make the point very well that you choose those people. You go out in the world, you know who you are and you know who you want to be around. And and so in a way, the friendship family should be held at least equally up there, but it isn't. Can you talk to me about that and why you want to make that point in the book? I suppose that, you know, friendships are... Are by choice, and that they're completely about they're voluntary and they're about 
joy. I mean, we, you know, we can't and don't choose our families. So we're, you know, we we, we make do with what we have. And, you know, I'm very, uh, very, very fond of my family. I'm not saying that. It's just that there is... Uh, there are other very important relationships that we have in our lives other than the people who are our kin. And the kind of amazing thing about friendship is that it is an entirely voluntary relationship because there's no, there's nothing that binds people together in friendships in, you know, in the granular way that there is with a family or partners, a husband's, wives, there is no property, there's no children, there is no, you know, there is no finances. There's there's none of those things that you have to navigate so many other things in your um, relationships with, with, fa- with, with your family. Your friends are about simply enjoying the time that you have together and going through all sorts of experiences together. Amazing experiences, happy experiences, you know, being there for each other when things are going badly wrong for somebody and the extraordinary thing is that it is all voluntary it's the most fantastically sort of frivolous in a way um relationships that we have because they're based on joy and in shared sometimes shared values or curiosities and we all have so many different kinds of friends that sort of you know we're different people with different friends or we can explore different parts of our personality or of our interests with different friends. And that makes for a really rich life, I think. Yeah, you've described it really well there. So tell me about Nancy, because I love that you say Nancy is sort of the person you realised you could love a friend very dearly and deeply and that that was something that before that you hadn't realised. Tell us that story. So I met Nancy in Krakow in a dormitory um, one Easter, oh, nearly 30 years ago now. And um, she was teaching in Budapest for a year and she was on holidays. I was traveling around Eastern Europe for some months and we both ended up in the same hostel in Krakow. And she actually arrived when it was dark and I heard somebody come in and bang against a bunk and say, whoops and then bollocks <laughs> and as she as her some part of her body made contact with the with the with the bunk bed um so in the morning I um, met her she had uh, had a book of poetry on her on her bunk and I thought this is very unusual somebody backpacker traveling around to the book of poetry and I had figured out that she was Irish and I hadn't met any Irish people so far on my trip around Eastern Europe and it was Easter Sunday morning so we decided we'd go off for breakfast and both of us had gone to the same college and she'd been some years after me and we knew a few people in common so we went off to this cafe in the old town square in Krakow and we had this long breakfast and then noon came and we started to have we had some had some wine and at some point these ladies were coming over to admonish us for laughing so much because we were just could not stop laughing we had so many stories <laughs> to tell each other and so the afternoon went on and the cafe closed we went to a bar 
Then we went for dinner, then we went to another bar and then we bought some beers. We went back to the hostel. The hostel was closed up and we locked ourselves in the bathroom and we kept on talking. And I'd say we talked for about 16 hours straight. And at the end of it, we just declared our love for each other. And I mean, I know it sounds strange now, but I hadn't realised that you can love somebody who you're not having a romantic relationship with or who isn't a you know, a family member, you really can love a friend, which is why I guess it hurts so much when sometimes they break up with us. And that was a real revelation to me because I suppose it's also an acknowledgement of the power of a wonderful friendship and, you know, how meaningful that can be in your life and how wonderful it can be to have people who are friends that you love in your life. And, you know, we are still very, very close friends to this day. That was 30 years ago. So, you know, we, you know, it was friends, friend love at first sight. <laughs> it's a brilliant story. I think we all have that where you just meet certain people and it's like, you know, immediately after and you wanted to spend more time and more time. And I think it can even happen as you're older. But you mentioned breaking up with friends. And that's another essay in the book is about a friend that you lost. And again, I think we've all had those Tell us about breaking up with friends and how how utterly um, heartbreaking that can be, even though, as you say, it's not a romantic relationship, but it can still be really hard to lose a friend. You write about that anyway in the book as well, don't you? Yes. And I suppose, you know, not every friendship is going to be forever. And sometimes we just drift apart, whether it's for reasons of geography or just elements of life, or sometimes friendships just become an effort. And when they, you know, they've, I mean, it's strange because friendships can endure all sorts of very difficult challenges. But I do know that once they become an effort, they're stone cold dead because there's just sort of, you know, it's not um, joyful or it's just not, it's just not sort of easy or, or right anymore. And it's nothing to do with um, people having a hard time or anything. It's just, it's literally when somehow just the good has gone out of it in some way and then you just you know you both move on and that's fine but what can be really painful is sometimes when friendships just end and you're just not sure why because you're you know you're not the one who ended it um and you know there's no reason for anybody to tell you why this is because again I suppose going back to what we talked about earlier there's no you know, you're not living with this person, you're not, they don't owe you anything, you've nothing is, you know, there's no house involved or anything. So it can be kind of, I mean, I have to say this hasn't happened to me very often, <laughs> but in the couple of cases that it has, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's been a, a painful experience because you keep trying to figure out what you do wrong and you've no, you don't know why, a friend you've had for a really long time suddenly just doesn't want to talk to you anymore and maybe it's something to do with them but you don't know you're sort of left guessing and I suppose it's the the left guessing bit that's that's hard and also all the shared times you've had um like what do you do with that do you does does that make you feel sad to think about it or do you just try and kind of put that in a different space and say, well, we did have all these wonderful times. I don't know what happened, but I can still enjoy all those memories, which is what I decided to do mm. with the couple of friendships that, 
you know, became lost that I write about in Comrades. I think friendship is an art, Rosita, and I think you are brilliant at it, as you are at so many things. And you, I feel like you have such a wide circle of friends. You've introduced me to some of them. They're from all over the world. They're fascinating people. Um, Like, I'm not going to say you're like a curator of friends, but when you have when you have friends, you know, you cultivate those friendships, you work hard at them. You're really thoughtful. You're generous. Um, Because I was talking to Brianna earlier and uh, she was saying how she feels like she's a bit of a a bad friend, a forgetful friend, like she's there when when, you know, needed, but she's not as good at keeping it together. That's just her personality. I would say I'm quite a flaky friend as well. But you I suppose I can't comment on that, but I feel like that. But um, do you see friendship as an art? Like, because I feel you work very hard at it. And I think as a result, you have wonderfully rich friendships that are enduring and that last for a long time. Oh, I wouldn't say I would never see myself as working at friendships because that sounds like it's sort of conscious and it's not it's 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 not conscious thing at all. It's just sort of the way that um, I I suppose, communicate with my friends or, um, no, it never feels, it doesn't ever feel like I'm working or making an effort or anything. It's, it's I maybe put it the wrong way. I suppose it's like with everything you do, Rosita, because I feel like that in uh, as your friend, I think I can say, I kind of know you quite well. And I feel like with, with your work or with your family or with your friendships, you put so much into everything you do. I think that's more what I'm saying. And it's not I don't I think working at it sounds like you have to work at it because as you said earlier, we don't want to have to work at friendship. If we have to work at it, it's not it's not easy. It's not joyful. But I suppose what I mean is because you are a kind of a a person who does give a lot of yourself and is organized and is, you know, very thoughtful. I think bringing those attributes to friendships, you know, can be very enriching, I think. Well, I think I'm definitely a good connector because I know, you know, I have lots of different friends and, you know, I know when people are going to get on or they would have they wouldn't have met before and they have interesting things to say to each other so I really kind of enjoy putting people in contact with each other or having parties or dinners or whatever and people sit around the table and we you know talk for hours and there's new friendships forged and all of those things um I suppose I mean I I I suppose I I am thoughtful about things, but again, I don't really have to think about it. It just sort of comes naturally to me. So maybe other people would describe me as thoughtful when it comes to, you know, um, keeping in touch with people and kind of checking in on them and just, you know, having the crack and great experiences and going on holidays with people. It's... It, but it has to be remembered that it's this all benefits me too because I get the benefit of my friends company and having experiences with them so it's by no means a one-way thing you know we're both we're both we're all getting something kind of great out of it. I agree I'm definitely getting lots of great things out of your friendship and the funny thing is we're quite different Rosita but I find that with a lot of friendships that I have. I like being friends with people who are very different to me because it's I love the contrast. You know, I love the I love the things that you bring to our friendship. I hope that I bring something different to to our friendship as well, you know, and that that kind of difference is really exciting. And and it's uh, yeah, 
I, I find that great about being friends with you. Um, what about the pandemic? And I was talking to Brianna about this earlier as well, how it closed our circle so narrowly. I mean, I know we, we started by, by talking about that loneliness and, and you writing in lockdown, but our circle became much smaller. Have you found it more difficult um, as we've opened up and hopefully we're not closing down again? Like that's probably not going to happen. But, um, you know, coming out again and reestablishing the connections, Um you know, because we we lost touch, I think, with a lot of people just by virtue of the fact that we weren't able to be out in the world. How have you found that transition back into the world of friendship? I have jumped into it like a, a diver from the top of the diving board into the deepest pool you could possibly imagine. So I've had no problem with that transition. And I suppose the other thing that is, I think, is important to say that I didn't write about in the book, but which I've written a column about since, is that. You know, it's. I really treasure the fact that I have friends of um, generations who are older than me and younger than me. I've got two incredibly good friends who are, you know, into their 70s. I have two friends who are, you know, 20 years younger than me. And we're we're just friends when we're together that I and I really, really value that having friends that aren't just peers, because Friendship is crosses ages and, you know, it's really, we can be friends with anyone at any time. And I really, really treasure the fact that I have friends from, of people who are all different ages. And, you know, now and then it's like when you're, now and then I think, oh my God, like, why, why is this person who's, you know, 20 years younger than why why do they want to hang out with me and get all get all thinking god it's all weird and then they say no what are you talking about it's just you know we're we're friends we're just so and I really treasure that and I I would kind of think that I'd love to see that being maybe more of a norm because um you know in the same way we kind of corral family above friends I think that, you know, there is nothing to say that all our friends need to be our peers we met in school or college. And, you know, why not have as rich a life experience as possible? So I really value those friends also. Same here. I'm the same. I have friends in the 70s. I have friends in their 30s and 20s. And I love it because otherwise I just think it would be boring to have people who are all the same age as you and doing all the same things and going through the same experiences. I, it's it's really um, refreshing to go and meet somebody who's at a totally different life stage to me, listen to where they're at and then same that you can kind of bring something from your experience back to them. So I totally agree with that. We need friends of all ages. Um, and what have you learned, Rosita, finally? What did sitting down and thinking about all those friendships and, and the way friendship has impacted your life, what did it, did it teach you anything new? Um, or did it indeed, did you think, oh, I have enough friends now. I don't need any new friends. <laughs> or are you still making them? How are you with your friendship status now? Well, there's no quota. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, sometimes I joke that my friend quota is full. But I mean, the fact is that it's, you know, it's it's never full as it should, as it shouldn't be for any of us and you can make friends at any time of your life and you know I still continue to meet interesting people and they become my friends and that's going to happen you know well as as life continues and it's really I don't know maybe it's like gardening you never know what's going to 
what's going to arrive, what's going to grow. And there's there's no absolutes in life. And you, if we are as open-minded about meeting friends as we are about other elements of our life, we'll continue to, you know, make friends. And it does take some time. And I'm lucky that I, I do have time. But, you know, it is so... Like my life would be much less rich without all the friends that I have in it. And I am just really grateful these people want to be my friends and uh, still want to be my friends. Well, I'm really grateful for our friendship, Rosita. We've had so many happy times, difficult times, challenging times, the tears in the bathroom. And when I think about very fondly back at those kind of times as well, because you kind of laugh at yourself <laughs> at the ridiculousness of it. But you no, know, I feel exactly the same. And I think I agree with you. There should be no quota because you just never know who you're going to meet around the corner and who you might need at a certain time as well. And so it's a beautifully organic thing that keeps changing and growing and long live friendship and long live our friendship, Rosita. I can't wait to see you again and have some more fun with you. Can I say to whom I dedicated my book? Well, you can if you like, yeah. <laughs> so my book, Comrades, is dedicated to my friend Roisin Ingle. <laughs> yeah, it's all very nepotistic on the podcast this episode. But I sort of thought, well, you know, it's fine. Uh, it's it's interesting to talk about our friendships. And yeah, I was so delighted and honoured that you dedicated the book to me. It meant an awful lot. And I have to tell everyone, it's a fantastic book of essays. Rosita is the most exquisite writer and everything she writes is just golden. And I think what it does is you're reading and you're finding out so much about Rosita's life through her friends, but it makes us reflect on our own ones and our friends that we've lost, friends that we still have. Um, and all the different um, sort of varieties and the whole spectrum of friendship because it's it's so multifaceted through our lives. So well done, Rosita, on an incredible book. And thank you very much for coming on. And I'll see you for a glass of wine soon, I hope. Absolutely. Thanks, William. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. And that's all we have time for. Thanks very much to Brianna Parkins and to Rosita Boland. Comrades, her book is out now and it would make a brilliant Christmas gift for all the friends in your life. That's it from me. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Do get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast. We're also on Instagram or Twitter and we're on email, thewomenspodcast at irishtime.com. Mind yourselves, distract yourselves, and I will talk to you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 